Hello, and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Is God fair? It's not a simple question, but how you answer it can have a profound effect on your view of God and how you relate to Him. And it's an issue with which we may constantly wrestle. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series Excuses, Excuses, Excuses with part one of I Never Knew, which covers Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Thank you for joining us today. Our Father, we uh, now ask that as we turn our attention to a a very complex and challenging portion of your word that you might give us open minds and hearts to embrace that which is truth. I pray for direction as I uh, steer this congregation into the word of God and begin to see what it has to say and contemplate its meaning. I pray that we might, we might know the truth and the truth might truly set us free. May we know that the truth is really our Savior Jesus and may we find him in a better way than we've ever found him today. May we see him and love him, we pray. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm always curious when I start a new series, as I did last week, how many people are here the next week in this regard. I usually give a foundation to the entire series coming up, and it gives me a little bit of a a help to get a feel how many people were not able to be here last week. I know vacation, people traveling, and whatever reason, many, many different reasons. But if you were not with us last week, give me a, a kind of an idea how many, how many were not with us last week, so didn't hear that. All right, so uh, I couldn't tell exactly, was there anybody here last week? Was that <laughs> everybody brand new? Well, we're starting a new series, and it's out of the book of Romans. It's in chapters 1 through 3. And so I welcome you now, invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans 1 through 3. We're entitling this series, Excuses, Excuses, Excuses. I hope you will go back, get the MP3, uh, CD, however you can pick up, because pretty important what we talked about. I think those here will agree A very important foundation to begin with. These are excuses, excuses that mankind has used through the ages, are using it today, and will forever use it until life as we know it on this earth ends. These are excuses when a person finally meets their creator after life on this earth that will be used their excuses now to explain why so many people can say, I'm okay because I have these reasons to think I am all right. Even though not, even though not a follower of Jesus, not necessarily in love with Jesus, but I think I will be okay with God. And it draws to our mind all of the different questions that we have about, well, what about, what about, what about? This is a series about the whatabouts. We're digging in some very challenging, challenging issues. You will see even today. Last week, I laid the foundation by suggesting that a person's view of God will shape the way they live, their view of themselves will shape the way they live, their view of the world, the life in which we live, it will shape 
the way we live. And therefore suggested that I do a far better job in helping you to teach you how to think instead of simply teaching you how to behave. So this is a series and teaching you how to think. How do you think about God? How do you think about yourself? How do you think about the world at large? That's Romans. I talked about how vitally important the book of Romans is. If I could give a person one book of the Bible and say, you get to know this portion of the Bible, Romans 1 through 8, I'd say, you get to know that. You get to know it, and you will have your mind shaped well to think rightly about God yourself and the world at large. Very, very important stuff we're talking about. Last week, we gave the first of four excuses that are often used. Well, God's good. Oh, he's not going to let good people perish. After all, God is good. Well, we addressed that and did so by using the 18th verse of Romans chapter 1. So I don't have it on the screen here, but if you have your Bibles, you might look down at it. It goes like this. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. We suggested then that that God is saying, look, the wrath of God is revealed, but it is revealed righteously. Some people want to say, God doesn't reveal wrath. That wouldn't be a good God. Other people say, well, he does reveal, but he, he does it in an inappropriate way because think of all the people who never heard. Think about the people. Do you understand, Christian, and those that are seeking to, do you understand that Christum, through its history, the Bible solid through and through, says that only those who embrace Christ are those who are truly his. Jesus taught it over and over and over and over again. He called himself the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And then we have to say, but wait. What about people who never hear? What about, what about, what about? And we have to address those issues. And Paul is doing that for us. He is writing to a group of people, many of which have been very skeptical of his teaching of what God would say. And he's saying, well, how do you explain this one, Paul? And Paul says, okay, I'm going to put out this treatise and I'm going to take the challenges that you have and I will address them and I will assure you they're the same challenges that you and I are having today. They're really issues that make us ask, is God fair? Think about your experiences of life. Though many of us, maybe most of us, would never say, I think God is unfair. The truth of it is, we live the thought that he is unfair. What about somebody who loses a child? The rest of the friends, they've got kids and they're growing up and enjoying life with family and only had one child. And God allowed that child to be taken away. Now, is that fair that God would do that? Maybe, maybe being molested as a little child. Didn't invite it. Had no defense mechanism. Dealing with the aftermath of all the issues that go along with that. Say, God, if, if you're over all things and you can stop anything, are you a fair God? Are you really fair? Be singles who long to be married, 
And they say, God, why? I've been faithful, I've been obedient, but I'm, I'm still single and I want to be married. Are you really fair? Maybe they're people who married and wish they were single and think God's not fair. I don't know. I hope not. But the truth is, we look at life circumstances and say, do we have a fair God? Do you realize this? If we think God is unfair, and if you think God, period, means you're a theist, and your thoughts of that God is that he in any way is not fair, do you know that will translate into life into bitterness, resentment, anger? You can't help it. It will happen. A person who truly lives life saying, I think God's very fair. In fact, I think he's more than fair. I think he's merciful. I think he's gracious. And you really believe that. You begin to think the truth about God in that regard. It's amazing the type of joy, the perspective in life, the way you can live happily. It's amazing what can happen. So this is a series that we're really addressing the fairness of God. Is he really fair? Now, we're going to do it now today by looking at a second excuse. And that is, well, I really never heard. Last week, we said the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and righteous men who suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. So the skeptic is going to say to Paul, well, Paul, what about the people that never got the truth to suppress it? If you have no if you have no truth, you can't suppress it. And therefore, there are innocent people, the people who never got the truth. That is what he is addressing. We're going to do it by addressing some presuppositions. Presuppositions that if they were true, we would have to say man does have an excuse. There's a sense in which the first presupposition, the one we'll look at today, the other three next week, that the first presupposition was already beginning to be addressed last week if you were with us. And we're continuing on in the next verses, which is verses 19 and 20. Now let me give you a definition first of a presupposition. I have it on the board here. A presupposition, an assumption which influences another assumption or an action. Meaning this. We presuppose something to be the case, and therefore we suppose something to be. In other words, it's the, the supposition that we have that's beneath the supposition. One's called a presupposition, we presuppose, and as a result, we have a belief. And we say, This is what I believe. Why do we believe that? Well, because. In other words, why do I believe things that don't feel right or seem right in life and I still embrace it anyway? Well, I have a presupposition that the Bible is God's authority. It is his word. It is infallible. It is inspired. Therefore, I embrace something I don't necessarily understand or even like, but I have a presupposition that guides what I suppose to be. We're going to look at four presuppositions. And these presuppositions are very, very, very important. Let's look at the first, and then we'll read the text in verses 19 and 20. If that person were not guilty of rebellion, and what I've used 
to call divine treason, as others have used, if that person were not guilty of such rebellion, then man would have a pretty good excuse to stand before God and say, I'm not guilty. You cannot let your wrath fall upon me because I am not guilty of that. But Paul has already said in verse 18, it's revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth of God. Not the gospel, not the words of Jesus, but the truth of God. So the skeptic is now saying to Paul, well, Paul, I don't get this. Not everyone gets the truth about God. There are people that never learn about God. How can you say they suppress the truth of God? And this is going to be his answer. So let's look at verses 19 and 20. 19 says, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Now, let me stop there. Because that which is known about God, how much do people know about God? Well, that which is known about God, maybe without the gospel, maybe without instruction and teaching, it's evident within them. There is a consciousness, an awareness, an innate consciousness that there is something, there is someone that is far beyond me, and it becomes very evident. He's going to go on to say, for God made it evident to them. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature, and many others, factors of that, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. So, two simple points on the outline. He's teaching no one is innocent. Not innocent because there is an awareness of God. That is, people do have a sense that God exists. I took a walk a uh, day before yesterday, and I was walking uh, in an area, and I I saw beautiful trees, and I looked up in the sky, and I looked at the clouds, and I thought, how far does this extend? And I've read enough to know and seen pictures of, you know, the telescopes of the day and how far they can take you out. And I go, God, you are amazing. You're amazing. Look, and sure, I see and I understand. And I go, wow, there's a God. Now, he's saying that's innate within people, that there is a consciousness and I know what you're thinking. So you're not addressed a lot of issues. You're not addressed, well, what about little babies? What about people who don't have the mental awareness? What about, what about, what about? We're going to get to that. But this is a foundation. He's laying a foundation to begin, saying, look, creation walks about. They see, they hear, they feel, they innately know that there is a God. So then we come to the second piece, which is no one has an excuse. No one has an excuse. Verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them. This is the cognitive awareness, not the innate knowledge. So innate knowledge, only, uh, only Christians have an innate knowledge. Use those terms. But all people, this cognitive awareness. Since the creation of the world, it says, the next verse, since the creation of the world. 
That word since is very misleading. It literally is saying through the creation of the world, by what we can see in creation. It goes on to say his invisible attributes are clearly seen. As one commentator puts it, the invisible is made known through the visible. Whether it be wisdom, goodness, power, all these different ways we see who God is. Being understood through what has been made. We're talking more than knowledge. We're talking about understanding. We even have an understanding. So it concludes by saying, so that they are without excuse. He's really saying ignorance is not really an excuse. Now, that's the teaching of the text. That is not satisfied 99% of us. Because we got questions that have not been dealt with. And I want to deal with those questions. The question now is this. What about the teaching of Psalm 51? We hold the Bible? What does Psalm 51 verse 5 say? It says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in, my, in sin my mother conceived me. Do you know the historic teaching of the church? The biblical church, the church that holds to the Bible, do you know the historic teaching is? You and I conceived in sin. Conceived in sin. You're going to tell me that someone conceived and in the womb is going to have this awareness of the knowledge of God and we're going to see through what's been made? I don't think so. The psalmist who we respect so much, he believed he was sinful in the womb. The church has held and unfortunately not holding to the same degree that teaching today. Oh yeah. From the womb. All right, well what about then What about babies that die? Do they have an awareness? Do they know whether it be in the womb or they die after birth? They can't reason. They can't can't think. What about somebody who lives through adulthood and they've got a mental issue that's physical or, I mean, whatever it's been, maybe born with, with some condition? They don't have a reasoning ability. He can't think, can't talk, can't hear, can't see. Are we saying that these people, are we saying they don't, are are they deserve to, to be separated from God for all eternity? I could right now stop and say I'm going to address this next week, and most of you would probably want to be back. Why? Because you don't hear this addressed. But this is critical, and what I'm about to share I have to go to chapter 5 because Paul is going to build this in sequence, and this is a series 1 through 3. One of the downsides of that, you don't get the whole. But in chapter 5, he is going to raise the issue of all issues. It's the issue now that when I meet with someone over lunch and trying to help them understand what we call the gospel or good news, I'm focusing more on this one issue than any other issue. It answers all the questions that you and I have. I'll say to them, if I were you, 
and I were questioning whether Christianity might well be the faith that God has given for us to embrace to know him. And I want to understand it. I'd have this question that I would want answered beyond all other questions, and that would be this. How come, because of what one person did, who knows how many years passed, therefore I am considered separated for God and worthy of that separation? Because in the book of Romans, chapter 5, Paul says this, in Adam... We all sin. What? Wait, in Adam, we all sin? That's what Paul is going to teach. And we believe under inspiration of God. What is God saying? He's saying, no, the way it happened is in Adam, when he sinned, now all humanity became sinful, would always be sinful. And what are you and I going to say to that? Same thing our, our friends that we're talking to, they're going to say, well, that's not fair. But wait, Zephaniah 3, 5 says the Lord is righteous, that there's no unrighteousness in him whatsoever. Well, wait, but that doesn't seem righteous. Well, hold on. You got to understand this. It's in that little phrase, in Adam, we all sin, that we understand the beauty of the gospel. There is a thing called corporate personality. Some of you may have heard me teach this concept before, it's called corporate personality that's throughout Scripture. Corporate personality is very Eastern. Keep in mind the Scriptures written in an Eastern culture. If you look at the Eastern world, and some of you who are out of the Eastern world, you understand this better than us Westerners. We're very individualistic. Oh, what I do affects me. And let me tell you, I got to look out for me. You're you, you got to look after you, but totally different. No, 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 no. The Eastern world says we collectively are one people. For instance, do you know there was a time in certain places that if someone were hired and found out that then the employer finds out that you've got a sibling who is unemployed, they would feel obligated to hire the sibling as well because they would say it's not... It's not appropriate that we would hire you because you're one. We can't separate you. Western mind hears that and says, that's crazy. No, it's a different understanding. It's corporate personality. If you want to see it in Scripture, you see it probably no better than in this location in the book of Joshua, chapter 7. In chapter 6, it's the very familiar chapter where the walls of Jericho fall down. You familiar with that? God has taken Israel into this great area of this huge city called Jericho. It has all these huge walls. And in spite of all of the obstacles and the hardships, God prevails through these Israelites and they conquer. They win. They've been told when you go in, you're not to take any of the spoils Put to death everything that is alive and burn, get rid of everything, silver, gold, nothing do you keep. They go in, they conquer, and now right after that comes chapter 7, and in chapter 7, God says to the Israelites, now, go to the city of Ai. Go to the city of Ai. Well, this is near the challenge of Jericho. They go into 
AI and they get defeated. And they, I mean, they come running away with their tail between their legs. I mean, saying, what happened? God, what happened? He said, well, the problem is there's sin in the camp. What do you mean? Well, there has been one who has taken the spoils against the ban that was placed. They have taken silver and gold and other things and have hidden it. So he says, okay, I will meet with the people of Israel. And when I meet with the people of Israel, I will show you who that is. So he starts with all of Israel, the 12 tribes, and eliminates it down to the right tribe. There's a man called Achan, who is the man who was the sinner. So now they get it down to the tribe where Achan is in that tribe. And then with the tribe, they're divided into clans. He says, here's the right clan. All the other clans are released. Then they take all the families in that clan and they say, there's the family. It's the family of Achan. And Achan is the one who did this. Do you know what God said then? He said, put to death the family of Achan. Achan and his, his siblings, everybody, the family is to die. What do you and I say when we hear that? We say, that's not fair. I mean, can you imagine? Maybe he had a brother named Levi who hated Achan. Maybe they were worst enemies. And he'd be probably saying, whoa, 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 whoa before you do this, I, I hate Achan. And I would have told on him had I known. I promise you, I would have gone and told. Er Doesn't matter. You are his flesh and you must all die. It's called corporate personality. And immediately we say, I don't like that. That is unfair. No. It's better than fair. It's the greatest grace we could imagine. And here's the reason. Because as it says in Romans 5, in Adam all die. If it were not the truth of corporate personality, then we would all be left to ourselves. We'd be left to ourselves to say, okay, I'm Adam. Either I sin or I don't sin. If I sin, I get eternally condemned, the wrath of God. If I live an entire life without sin, then I get eternal blessing. And then my child, if he or she lives a perfect life, then they will be blessed forever. But if they sin one time, as God said, if you sin, you shall die. If you sin, then you will perish forever. Let me ask you this question. How many people do you think would ever live a perfect life? Not just one day, but forever and ever throughout lifetime would never sin. We would all sin. And we would rightly all perish. Right? We would all perish. But because of corporate personality, we understand in Adam, our head, what's true of him in corporate personality affects all. Because that system God has placed, because of his great love and grace, you step across the fence and there now stands our second Adam, as he's called. Our second Adam is who? You tell me. Jesus. Jesus is the second Adam. And the way it works is this. You sin, yep, the wrath of God. But guess what? If you join his family, then you get 
the righteousness of Jesus placed on you, not because of anything you've done, but only because of what the second Adam did. He lived the perfect righteous life, and he paid the penalty for our sin. And therefore, if we join his family, then we get to be righteous for all eternity. Do you want corporate personality or no? A person who understands that says, oh, wow, thank you, God, for corporate personality. Thank you that I'm not left to my own, that because of Adam and what he did, I sinned in him because I am part of that race and I rightly am condemned, but that God, by your grace, you gave a second Adam, and with that particular economy, the way you save, I can now embrace the family and come into the life of God's family through Jesus, and I get to be treated the same way by God, the Father, as Jesus Christ is treated. Oh my goodness, can it get any better than that? We should be saying, yay God. Thank you for corporate personality. Thank you that in the womb, I didn't have to wait and see what I, no, 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 I'm there. But I get the privilege. At least now there is hope. There is hope that I can be made righteous. See, folks, this is what I keep trying to underscore through the years here. It's not, I've decided to follow Jesus, and therefore God's going to say to me, you're welcome into my kingdom forever and ever and ever because you followed me. He's going to say, no, you're welcome into my kingdom because you have the righteousness of my son. And because of that righteousness placed on you when you enter the family, guess what happens? You naturally started to follow. That happens with people who have been made righteous. They do follow. Not to perfection, not without struggle, but they do follow. So now, close it out with the question, well, what about, what about babies who die? What about those who don't have the the mental capability of thinking and reasoning? And the truth of God is not known to them like it's known to us who walk through the woods and look at the skies and hear the birds. And what happens to those people? I can't go to Scripture and say, well, this is where it addresses it in the Bible because it doesn't. And just maybe in the economy of God, I would not be shocked. If every person in those categories immediately are brought into the presence of God and given special redemption. But here's what you and I need to understand, and here's the litmus test. If we think that it wouldn't be fair, that it wouldn't be fair if he didn't do that, then we do not understand the gospel. It would suggest that when man sinned, that God owed us a Savior, that he owed us. Our salvation would no longer be an act of mercy and grace. It would be an act of justice for God to send his son. And the scriptures, God makes it very, very clear. It is not of justice that he sent his son. It's of grace. It's his mercy. We would deserve, all of us, because we all sin. In Adam, we sin. But in Christ, we have his righteousness. If you look at your outline, you'll see where we're going next week. 
we'll look at three other very important presuppositions that if were not the case, then we would have an argument to say, your wrath should not come. If that person genuinely wanted to know God, but God didn't let him. Three, if God were obligated to provide a Savior, I've just addressed that briefly. And then fourthly, if it was wrong to treat people differently. And we'll address that next week. I hope you understand the great truth of the gospel. If you understand the righteousness of Christ, you hear this and you go, yay, God. This is so good. And folks, if you don't get this, you will forever have this mindset. God is not fair. I don't know that I can trust him. And when my circumstances go south, then I'm just going to have to live with some bitterness. I'm going to have to live with anguish that's unnecessary. I'm going to live with that, whatever it may be. You want to bleed that out of the system. You got to know how to think about God, yourself, and the world. That's when you know the truth, and the truth sets you free. As we pray, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, grant us to understand what we can of these very difficult things. Give us hearts that say, Lord, if I see it in your word, I embrace it. Knowing that we can trust you better than we can trust our own judgment, our own feelings, our own thoughts. Father, for those of us that have no reason to understand why the Bible could or would be accepted to be what it is, Give us the, the will and energy to investigate, to search, to ask, to study, to find out if it is your word. And if it is, Father, I pray that we would be a people here who say, I don't care what it says. I know I can trust it. Grant that, we pray. May we come to the cross even now. May we see the love of our Savior. May those here without that relationship now be brought into the family. May there be hearts that are saying, God, I want you now. I want to be a part of your family. I want your righteousness. Grant it even now. And we thank you in the great and matchless name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.